Good morning. Welcome. It's got a little cooler, hasn't it? It seems like the things moving fastest now are the, uh, the flies and the bees. I've noticed one buzzing around a light this morning. But I'm so glad you're here today as we come to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There was a movie that came out some time ago. You may remember it. Uh, it was called The Bridge on the River Kwai. And it was before my time, but it had a very interesting theme in that movie. There was a man by the name of Colonel Nicholson in that movie. You may know him better as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Alec Guinness, the actor, played Colonel Nicholson. And his men were captured by Japanese soldiers. And as POWs, they were charged with the task of building a bridge. And that's what they did. He saw this as a good opportunity to maintain discipline in his men and... They went about this, working very hard to get this bridge built. Some people said, well, maybe we should create it so that the first load that would come across it would collapse. Maybe we should rig it with explosives. But he was having none of that. And something very peculiar happened. He found himself actually in the painful position of defending the bridge from attack by fellow officers. The whole point of the bridge was to transport Japanese weapons to the enemy. So it wasn't like it could just stay up if the U.S. wanted to win the war. But he lost sight of what was going on. There's this one really chilling moment in the movie. Right before he himself detonates the bridge, there's a famous line where he says, What have I done? He was so focused on this goal building of putting up the bridge that he completely lost sight of the larger mission of winning the war. In a culture that's become more and more about me and my desperate need to feel successful and accomplished, it's easy for us to fall into this trap of seeking immediate significance apart from our identity in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, there's an epidemic right now, something they're calling narcissism in the church. There's a ton of books being written about it and podcasts uh, being made about it. This idea that powerful pastors who were able to rise to power very quickly because of the, uh, the invention of the internet and an online presence are succumbing to a severe case of narcissism. They care very little about what anyone thinks of them and they're primarily interested in keeping and maintaining power. By the way, pray for all of us who found ourselves as internet televangelists in this COVID epidemic that never had anticipation of doing anything like that. Perhaps what's maybe even more disturbing, though, about this trend of narcissism in leadership and in pastors is how much they have found the people in the church actually want that. They're finding as they interview people in the churches, they're coming to a realization that they weren't just dismissive of the problems that they saw in their senior leadership, but actually craved that style. Because as it turned out, being so connected with something big and grand gave themselves a sense of importance and significance. So often we end up in jobs we don't like, around people we don't want to be with, simply because we feel a need to be important. And then I come to a passage like the one we're going to look at today. 
at the words of a man I consider to be one of the heroes of the New Testament, John the Baptist. And what does he say as he's gaining disciples, gaining a following? He says these words, he must become more important, talking about Christ, while I become less important. And the subject I want to talk about this morning is, how do I decrease that Christ might increase? How can it be less about me and more about Jesus Christ? I want to take a close look at John the Baptist and his attitude of humility as Jesus comes on the scene and he's growing in popularity and importance himself. Please stand with me as we read John chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 36. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to his, to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You may be seated. We're walking through this narrative, the Gospel of John, where John is putting particular emphasis on high and lofty thoughts about Christ. I've said this a few times, that whenever they see, whenever you would walk into an old church and you would see uh, the Apostle John set in the stained glass, he's often accompanied with an eagle because they saw this as being a lofty book about Jesus Christ, they being the church. And this morning we see what happens when folks get connected. Excuse me, I'm going to move this. Not, not my pink bottle. It's very pretty, but not mine. Uh, we see what happens when people get overly connected to a person and become prideful about it. They start to act like that colonel in the bridge on the river quiet. They miss the larger mission. It's something that we're in danger of as well. Every day we live in the culture that we're in. So I want to walk through the passage this way this morning. First, we're going to talk about self-inflation. We're going to look at what has come upon these disciples of John the Baptist, that they're missing it. And you'll see how they're looking and they're a bit indignant about what's going on with Christ's ministry. And then we'll talk about self-deflation, refocusing on Christ. John the Baptist comes in and he utters what he, we saw there in the very beginning, that Christ must increase and I must decrease. Then he goes on to explain why Christ should increase. We'll talk about all of those reasons he mentions at the end of the chapter. And then finally, we'll talk about becoming self-forgetful. The need to become self-forgetful so we can decrease. 
three ways to do that. So let's start out with this first one, this living, uh, rather this, uh, this self-inflation. And the passage starts out explaining that Christ and his disciples were on the move. They had left Jerusalem. Now they're going across the countryside. And Christ's disciples are actually doing the baptizing. You'll see that in chapter 4. But now they're baptizing. They're on the other side of the Jordan River from where John the Baptist is. And then there's a problem. And we see this problem in verses 25 and 26. There was some kind of an argument happening between someone who was with them and John the Baptist's disciples. John had developed a following at this time. And it says there was a certain Jew among them. We don't know who this person is. But his argument's popping up as to why are the Jews being baptized. Now, it's a legitimate question because it kind of didn't make sense. Jews were being baptized uh, for very specific reasons. Actually, it would go through uh, purification, some kind of a pouring water on themselves ceremonially for a various number of reasons. One reason we talked about back in chapter 2, that before they would come to meal, if they had been around Gentiles, they were ceremonially unclean. That was one of the reasons that in chapter 2, Jesus used those ceremonial jars, those clay jars, to put the wine in because he was repurposing that. But that was one reason Jews would put water on themselves to ceremonially clean themselves after being around Gentiles and out in the world before they would come and eat a, a dinner or a meal together. And they would also pour water on themselves before they could perform certain services. Sometimes it was just a hand washing, but it could be a full body washing. Sometimes they would have to wash their clothes as well. The idea was God was a holy God, and we always want to be pure coming before him. They would also baptize a Gentile who was becoming a Jew. That was part of crossing the threshold into Judaism, from being a pagan to coming in and becoming one of God's people. But this baptism for Jews that John the Baptist was performing, it, to them it didn't make sense to the outsider. Was this a ceremonial washing? Was this one of those threshold kind of washings? And this was behind this interrogation of John that uh, was reported at the beginning of all four Gospels. But John had a different baptism. Being baptized by John demonstrated a recognition of one's own sin. It was simply saying, I am a sinner and I desire to be cleansed. And a commitment to follow God's laws in anticipation of Christ's arrival. Now that's different than Christian baptism even today. Christian baptism today is a mark of your identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We take people down into the water as though they are participating in the death of Christ and come back out of the water as a picture of the resurrection that's going to happen like the one that Christ had. And it's a visible sign of an invisible grace. No one saw the Holy Spirit indwell you when you became a Christian. So what do we do? We have baptism. We do it in front of everybody to show the world that this person has, in fact, put their faith in Jesus Christ. And they want to show everyone. We're going to be having a baptism after the second service. And people are going to pop up out of that water because it is freezing cold right now. It's going to be a special kind of baptism. So it's representative of a cleansing that is complete and a commitment that is the natural response of someone who has been made new. So John had these own disciples that were becoming indignant. They were questioning John the Baptist. They were questioning this baptism that he had. 
But then they also saw what was going on across the Jordan. Look at verse 26. And they, be, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, they're talking about Jesus, to whom you bore witness that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the one to come. Look, he is baptizing, and this is where it gets really interesting. And all, everybody, they're all going to him now. See the emphasis there. Do you catch the tone, the resentment, the bitterness? We're your disciples. Hey, this is where it's at. Not over there. What, what's he cutting in on us for? Now, why did they do this? This is, you know, they're saying all. Well, it's kind of like, Kind of like when you go up to somebody who's done something for like the tenth time that makes you angry. And what do you say? Every time you come into this house, you always do this. Well, that's not entirely true, is it? So they were having the problem. They were having an identity crisis. And they were finding an identity in being a disciple of John the Baptist. And these followers of John were not able to see that their affection and their devotion to this one prophet of Christ was making them unable to follow Jesus. And it's causing them to put more and more value in the ministry of John the Baptist than the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. Now, that's, that's a big problem. But this is not new, and it's not particular just to the disciples of John the Baptist. This happens here and there in the New Testament. Even the disciples of Jesus weren't really as generous as we may think. At one point in, in Galilee, they discover that someone else was working in Jesus' name, and they came back to tattletale on this person of Jesus in Luke 9, 49. Master, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. Because what? He's not one of us. I mean, what's going on with this? Jesus rebukes them for thinking this way. And then the same thing happened when Paul was founding churches, uh, the, the church in Corinth. The Christians were there really arguing with each other about who so-and-so was following. Some said they followed, uh, followed Paul and then Apollos and, and Cephas and some Peter. So we need to set aside the fantasy that these early Christians didn't struggle with the same things we struggle with. These human loyalties of theirs, they really got in the way. And there was a sense of them gaining personal value by being connected to a certain person. It created this competition among the different ministries there at the very beginning. That doesn't happen now, though, does it? Do you ever feel like you're competing with someone for any number of reasons? Maybe you feel insecure if someone uh, says that so-and-so is prettier or smarter or they have a greater number of followers on social media, they've got a bigger social media presence. If that's true, if you get onto Facebook and somebody's got more likes than you and that does something to you in here, what's going on? If someone's better than you at something and it bothers you down here, what's going on? 
You're finding your worth and value in something that God never intended for, that, for you to, to find it in. Watch out, because we tend to want to self-inflate ourselves. As a matter of fact, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, he's a theologian, he was a Dutch guy, he wrote a book called Sickness Unto Death. And he said this, he said, It is the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something besides God. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. We sing about it all the time. If you, if you listen to the words of those four songs this morning, they hit on this theme all over the place. So what's the solution to this self-inflation, this need to be significant well, it's going to be two things. I called it self-deflation, but you self-deflate by focusing uh, on Christ, refocusing on Christ, I'll say. And John makes this very clear in the next set of verses, that Christ is superior. And he's going to let them have it. He hears what these people are saying, and he realizes they need some discipling beyond where they're at right now, these disciples of his. And in verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John the Baptist is saying, look, look, disciples of mine, this popularity that you perceive me having, this, this way I'm speaking, he said, it all came from heaven. It all came from that one across the Jordan that you're trying to criticize right now. You don't get it. God in his absolute control has permitted this for me. And all truth comes from God. And it gets really explicit. and tells them that they can testify to the fact that I said, being John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, I am not the Christ. He said, I'm just the one that was sent before Jesus. And then he uses this illustration of a wedding in verse 29. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This then is my joy, and it is complete. He's saying, Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm the other guy. I'm, I'm the assistant acting on behalf of the bridegroom. I'm just here to make the preliminary arrangements for the ceremony to happen. He brings it home in verse 30. He must become more important while I become less important. It's a great thing for a, if you're looking for something to put on a mug or a t-shirt or a bracelet, you'll see those. Our youth wear them sometimes. He must become greater as I become less. This is the I would say that, like this is the secret to life's purpose. This is the secret to life, but it's not a secret, okay? This is it. This is why we're here. This is why we do what we do. So there's some explicit truth. And it's important that when I speak from the pulpit, that it is from the authority of the scriptures that I speak. Otherwise, I've got nothing to say. John is telling his disciples that the whole reason we're doing what we're doing is because of Christ and the ministry of, the, of Christ. That one across the river, he said, he's God. Do you get that? That's God the creator of all things, across the river, doing those baptisms. 
And John gets to these disciples, they don't fully get it. Um, by the way, if you've been watching this series, The Chosen, I, I love the way these guys don't get it. Trying to control circumstances. If you're not familiar with this uh, video series on right now, it's about uh, Jesus choosing his disciples who are coming alongside him. They're actually using the book of John as a basis for this series. And these guys, they just don't get it. They're, all, they're, they're, they're fighting and trying to control things and trying to tell Jesus what to do. It's hilarious. But we do the same thing. So John, knowing his disciples, needs some more discipling because they don't get it. He's going to take the next few verses and tell them, this is why Christ must increase. This is why. Look at these next two verses. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. So what's John saying? Jesus is from above. Remember what Jesus said back in chapter 3. He said, you must be born from where? You must be born from above. Now John's being explicit. Jesus is the one that came from above. And earthly people are limited to knowledge of earthly things. Someone had to come from heaven to inform us about heavenly things. John the Baptist could call people to repentance, but he could not reveal divine truth the way that Jesus could. He goes on to say people don't typically receive what Jesus has to say. That's what Christ said back in uh, verse 11. And John repeated that, but he said he's making the point that Jesus' authority, and get this, Jesus' authority did not rest on how successful his earthly ministry was. Now, did you get that? Because this is a really important point. Jesus had all authority. It didn't matter if 10 people believed what he was saying, or 100, or 1,000, or 10,000. The same is true with us when we share Christ with someone. Success doesn't hang on how many people come to faith in Jesus when we share the gospel. Did you know that? Success is simply from us sharing the gospel. As a matter of fact, by some estimates, Jesus was a very unsuccessful evangelist in that regard. But his authority did not rest on that. Some would believe him, some would not. It was frustrating to John that more people didn't trust and believe in Christ's testimony. But you know what? John the Baptist, he was never competing with Jesus. And Jesus is competing with no one. John continues on, verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So why must Christ increase? And what does it mean to set your seal upon Christ? When the past you would take a wax seal and you would put it on a letter and you'd have a, a stamper that you would use to stamp your insignia. And whenever someone got that letter, they knew it was from you. They knew it by your account to be truthful. By setting your, your seal on the testimony of Christ, you're saying it is truthful. And you're saying that the testimony of God is truthful. And that's really what this passage is asking the reader to do. Will you set your seal... Will you say that the testimonies of Jesus are truthful? 
Are they honest? Are the words of Christ the words of God? And then John closes with the final charge in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Will you believe? Will you put your faith in this person, Jesus? No one wants to be on the receiving end of God's wrath. But if you refuse to put your faith in Christ, that's where you're going to find yourself. That in the end, when Christ comes, when he's separating the believers from the non-believers, the believers will go on to eternal life with Jesus Christ, the non-believers will be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. That's the question John is asking. Will you put your faith in Christ? If you've never done that, I'm asking you, please come and talk to me. I'll be standing right down here after communion. The belief come, with this belief comes the joy of focusing on Christ in this life instead of yourself. So to keep from elevating yourself, from, you, you want to become self-forgetful. And, and when the Apostle Paul was working to overcome those divisions in that Corinthian church, because one person was elevating this leader, one person was elevating that leader, uh, he said this in 1 Corinthians 4.3. We're going to talk now, we want to become self-forgetful. Three ways to do that. 1 Corinthians 4.3. So for me, it is a minor matter that I am judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So this is Paul speaking, and what's he saying? He said, I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think about myself. I only care about what the Lord thinks about me. And what does the Lord say? He said, you are my beloved child, and you I'm well pleased. So in light of that self-forgetfulness, only concerned about what Christ thinks about me. I'm not even concerned about what I think about myself. A few thoughts on that. First of all, beware of human loyalties. Beware of human loyalties. Are you following a person or are you following Christ? Now, I believe we are to love one another. We are to serve each other, um, our spouses, our kids. But that's because Christ told us to love each other in such a way. But there's a danger in putting all your stock in one pastor or one leader or teacher. Now, I am, I am Baptist in my doctrine. But I would never say that First Baptist Church is the only right church in town. There's some other good churches out there. My brothers and sisters at the Rock Church, my brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, my brothers and sisters at Grace Anglican. You know, I don't, and I don't necessarily agree with these folks on everything, but I've got community with these pastors. And you know, that checks my own heart against trying to make my own kingdom here at First Baptist Church or feeling like I'm in competition with these men. That is totally not right. We never want to become a narcissistic church that believes that it is the best. And then secondly, view yourself realistically. View yourself realistically. Who are you? Now, what do I mean by that? Do you see yourself as a dearly loved servant of Jesus Christ? That because of that, you're free to love people the way that Christ loved people, and you won't do it perfectly. 
But you don't have to beat yourself up over it either. You don't have to beat yourself up over your sins. Jesus paid for your sins. He offers you grace. And God never told you you had to be a success in the world's eyes. He never says that. Not once. You may have had parents tell you that, grandparents, friends, but nobody ever told you this. That you had to be wealthy. No one said you had to meet certain standards to feel good about yourself. That's not an excuse to be lazy, by the way. But it does mean you don't have to fret and worry if you don't meet other people's standards. There's no greater tyranny than living under somebody else's expectations. Instead, you can be free. Free to be what? Free to be humble and unconcerned with being self-conscious. There's this one excerpt. Tim Keller wrote a book uh, about self-forgetfulness. And he said this. He said, gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to such thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? He said, true gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. He said, in fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness, the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. And then finally, you can find joy and rest in Christ's supremacy. Find joy and rest. Why? Why can you find joy and rest in Christ's supremacy? A man by the name of Thomas Goodwin He said this, I think I've got it here. He said, Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased by his showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. Now let me illustrate this. This is a story about a doctor. Um, It's a story about a doctor that traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to this really primitive tribe uh, they all had this contagious disease, and he, uh, he had his own medical equipment flown in. He correctly diagnosed the problem. He had the antibiotics that were prepared and available. He was independently wealthy, wasn't looking for any kind of payment from these people, any kind of financial compensation. But as he sought and, and, and would seek to provide care for these folks, some of those afflicted refused the care. They wanted to take care of themselves. They wanted to heal on their own terms. And then finally, a few brave men stepped forward to receive the care that was being freely provided. Now, what did that doctor feel? He felt joy. His joy increased to the degree that the sick came to him for help and healing. It was the whole reason that he came. And so with us, as with Jesus Christ, he doesn't get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for more forgiveness, for more pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. He opens his arms wide to us when we come to him with all of these problems. It's what he came to heal. So putting this all together, enjoy self-forgetfulness as you focus more on Christ. I should say, enjoy self-forgetfulness as you focus more on Christ. Enjoy it. There's rest to be found there. I want to just close 
briefly with one observation that was made about a woman, you've probably heard of her, a woman by the name of Mother Teresa. Uh, she went to Calcutta, India to work with the poor and help them in any way she can. One thing people noticed about Mother Teresa was the deformity of her feet. Someone asked why are her feet so deformed. She said for years when they would get shoes in for the poor people, she said she didn't want any of them to feel like they were getting the worst pair, so she always took them and put them on herself. She felt the freedom to sacrifice for those people that she loved. And she was epitomizing this idea of self-forgetfulness. And then one more ob observation someone made about her. <clears throat> she was passing through a crowd in Detroit. And a woman said this about her. She said that her secret is that she is free to be nothing. And therefore, God can use her for anything. Please pray with me. Almighty God, it is for freedom that you have set us free, Lord Jesus. Freedom to rest in you. Freedom to find joy in you. Freedom to love and forgive others. Freedom that we can decrease. Freedom to have even a low self-esteem because we have a high self-esteem in you. And Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here today that they would not leave the auditorium without talking to someone about how they can have this freedom. They're dying for peace. They're dying for rest. And Lord Jesus, you offer it if we would just come to you so that you would heal us. Prepare our hearts now as we go into this special time of communion. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.